We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. All right, welcome this evening. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. I, somebody just kindly asked if I would like a little bit of water, and I would, in fact. I was just looking at the uh, gauge. Uh, 18% humidity on that one back there and 21% here. That is very dry. Too dry for, uh, for us to uh, exist any great length of time. So we want to keep ourselves hydrated that way. All right, Matthew and chapter 14. This passage that we've been looking at, uh, you, you remember that John the Baptist it records how he was killed, how John the Baptist was killed by Herod, and then Herod was bothered by his conscience that uh, John the Baptist may have risen from the dead again when he heard about Jesus. Jesus went away at the hearing of this uh, situation, and in verse 13 it says that he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. Now, we know that he had also taken his disciples with him, so by himself is a relative term. It's away from the hubbub of the crowds and just to spend some time alone and in prayer and uh, and training of the disciples and so on. But when the multitudes heard about that, they followed him on foot from the cities, the various places where they were, and they uh, came and a great crowd formed and Jesus was moved with compassion, healed their sick and so on. And, And he fed them. A large meal when it became evident that they did not have enough to, um, to feed uh, the people. So what happened then was the crowd, in fact, if you turn to John uh, chapter 6, you don't have to if your fingers aren't uh, too nimble this evening, but uh, John chapter 6 and verse number 15, it says... Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Heavenly Father, we know the point of the passage before us is not that Jesus was going to immediately be made king. We've studied that many times before, but there's something else here that you want us to learn, and I pray that you would open our eyes to it in a new and fresh way this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the Lord, at that point, when he knew that they were going to try to come and make him king by force, immediately made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And then when he had sent the multitudes away, verse 23 says, he went up into a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, another gospel tells us that Jesus saw this happening to the disciples. He could see from afar off. They were, it seems, two, three miles away, perhaps, on the the sea. I mean, this sea was five miles across they had to traverse 
to get from the east side of the Sea of Galilee to the west side. And it's, that sounds like a lot. I mean, to me, I'm, not, I'm a land lover. I'm not a, a, a boat guy. We have some boat guys here. They would just run it, you know, just zip across and be all done. But imagine having to walk around far more than five miles. But they were out there several miles into the middle of this sea, and it was a, a difficult situation. It says they were uh, in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Verse 25, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Now back up, up to this point, were they fearful? Does it say that they were fearful? No, it says that they were having, indicates there was some difficulty on the, on the uh, sea because of the waves, but they weren't fearful yet. However, when they saw him walking on the sea, then they became troubled and saying, it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. They ought to have known better than that. Uh, so should we, by the way, if you think, you know, you saw a ghost, you didn't see a ghost. You might have seen something or your eyes might have been tricking you, but you didn't see a ghost. Uh, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There's the thing right there. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's really the point of what we're driving at here. It's not that he walked on water. That's an evidence of something else. Uh, it's not that Peter walked on the water, that's an evidence of something else. The point of this portion is to get to that point. But let me, let me kind of lead us into that here. Um, the title of the message is simply Walking on Water. And that modern figure of speech to walk on water refers to a job or a task or something that's humanly impossible. Um, it's a miracle. You know, somebody might say, for example, he finished the task so quickly his boss thought he could walk on water. And, uh, of course, that can be a disadvantage because then the boss will, th will think that you can do it the next time too, but uh, maybe not so. Um, so it speaks of a miraculous thing. It's a divine kind of thing for somebody to walk on water. In other words, it's impossible for that to occur. <clears throat> now, there were two similar events in the lives of the disciples and of Jesus. The one is recorded here in Matthew, Mark, and John where Jesus was not initially in the boat. You remember? There was another one in which he was in the boat and he was sleeping. And that occurred, we already looked at that in Matthew chapter 8. Okay, so that's what, six chapters ago. We might have forgotten by now because it's been several months, but uh, that was the case. And so he was asleep with the disciples during a storm and there they were afraid that they were going to sink and they didn't figure they had any chance being, what, mile, two, three miles from shore and, um, you know, going to drown in this, in this sea, which was, in effect, to them, it might as well have been an ocean because it was so big where they were. 
and uh, the fear of, of dying and so on overtook them, and they cried out to the Lord, and he saved them there as well. So similar situations, but not the same. There are different occurrences. So we've read Matthew 14, 22 to 33, and uh, I want to start making some commentary on that for you. Um, when did the sea become calm? When Jesus got into the boat. In the book of Jonah, when did the sea become calm? When they threw Jonah out of the boat. <laughs> Very opposite situation. Jonah went out to make the sea calm. Jesus went in and the sea became calm. Just a curiosity uh, that I noted in my study. Um, but let's keep in mind the function of this passage in terms of Matthew's purpose. It becomes clear in the last verse, truly you are the Son of God. Now Matthew's purpose is more than just that. He's trying to teach that Jesus is the divine king. King first, and now the divine king. Uh, king first, we know, because he talks about his royal lineage from Abraham and David and so on. But now he's going to say he's more than a king. You see, when the people came in John chapter 6 and wanted to, by force, make him a king, that was too small for Jesus. Jesus is not a mere human king. He is the Son of God, who will be the king of kings, yes, indeed, but to be just merely a human king is not what he is all about. So the miracle here is one of those pinnacle miracles, I call it. Um, maybe it's hard to kind of divide and slice up the miracles, but if you think about it, you know, there's the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea. There's the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. There's the miracle of uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. There's this miracle where he defies the laws of gravity. There's, um, you know, feeding of the 5,000. Some of these miracles are kind of up here, you know, at the top of the heap. Of the heap. Then there are other miracles that are still miracles, but, you know, he healed this person, he healed that person, he healed all these people, and, you know, just... It was commonplace. It wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal, but it wasn't a big deal compared to some of these ones, and, it, and they were more commonplace. So this is a pinnacle kind of miracle, as I call it. Highlights that Jesus was a man like no other. We learned earlier that he had authority over nature when he calmed the sea. He told the wind to stop, and that caused the waves to then stop because that's what produces those waves. Um, but now... He builds on that and defies gravity as he walks on top of the water. We conclude then with the text of Scripture that Jesus is worthy of worship because he does the works of God. He is the Son of God, not merely a king. He was more than most people understood him to be at this time in history, but his disciples were at least beginning to figure it out who he was. When we speak to, say, uh, our, our Muslim friends, they just cannot believe um, these passages about Jesus, that people worshiped him. Only, only to them, only Allah, God, can receive worship. But we labor to try to show them that God is the triune God and that we worship him in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's, here's an example right here. Um, try as you might to whittle away at the validity of this text or to downplay it, it's just not going to work. Here is a son of God who is worthy of divine worship. Peter fell down at his feet, said, Depart from me, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. Uh, Thomas said, My Lord and my God. The guys here are worshiping him. 
the angels worship him. Hebrews says, Revelation, we see the Lamb of God coming to take the scroll from him who sat. He opened the book and he was worthy to do that and worthy to receive worship. No angel was worthy or is worthy of that kind of response. Only God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, let me just deal with a little technicality here, um, maybe I could say. When we look at chapter 14, verse, um, let's see, verse number 15, back in the feeding of the 5,000, it says, when it was evening, his disciples came to him. And our sister had a question about this, when it was evening. Because if you look at 14.23, which we think is on the same day, we do believe that, uh, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. And uh, this is somewhat uh, puzzling because you think, well, did evening come or did evening come? Uh, you know, and they're the same Greek word, apsias, uh, the evening. Um, so what do we do with this? Well, uh, the, did they, were there two days or there two evenings or whatever? Did they stay with him overnight? And then, no, I don't think so. From what I can tell, it's a single day. Started out early in the evening and then moved to late in the evening. Now, the first evening could have been what we call the late afternoon, what we call the late afternoon. You might remember, uh, especially around the time when we study uh, Good Friday, that the Lord Jesus died around what time in the afternoon? Do you remember? Around 3 o'clock. It was the sixth hour by some reckonings, it was, you know, the Roman reckoning and the Greek or the Jewish reckoning, different ways they do it, but it was around 3 o'clock. And that's right around the time of the evening sacrifice of the Lamb. Every day there was a morning and an evening, a morning and an evening. And so it was right around there that they had this sacrifice. So this could be as early as 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, early in the evening when this occurred. Um, and so I just tie the evening sacrifice idea together with that timing. Now, um, before I lose you, let me just say, the, so the early evening was, was maybe around 4 o'clock, and the later evening, when Jesus was alone praying, could have been 5, 6, 7 hours later, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, uh, which is quite a few hours later. So my answer to the question is the language here is not used in a technical fashion, but in a colloquial fashion early evening, later evening. Now, when I studied this a little bit, I found this, I had not known this before, but there is something that the that Jewish reckoning uses, uh, has used, and I'm not sure if this is uh, strictly used in Scripture, but in Jewish commentary. Um, they have something called the relative hour, the relative hour, H-O-U-R, in which the daylight period is is divided into 12 hours, and the nighttime period is divided into 12 hours. Okay, If the daylight period is longer than the nighttime period in the summer, they still divide it into 12. Does that make sense? So they call the daylight period 12, even if it's 14 hours by our 60-minute hours, and they call the night 12 so that the night watches will have you know, their, their 12 segments and their day periods will have their 12 segments. So um, that's just an interesting 
thing. They called it the relative hour because it was an hour relative to the daylight that God gave them. So it was divided into that 12 sections. So you might have hours during the summer, which are much longer than hours during the winter. Of course, except when you're on the equator, then the daylight period is 12 hours and the nighttime period is 12 hours, right? This is at least as far as I understand it. But when you move off the equator to the north or to the south, then your daylight hours lengthen or shorten depending on the season because of the tilt of the uh, axis of the earth. So um, they would deal with it that way. But anyway, that's my answer to that evening, uh, evening and evening question. Um, you know, there's, there's the early evening uh, matinee, I guess, <laughs> afternoon, right? And then there's the late evening, uh, you know, dinner or uh, movie or whatever they have. But uh, here was uh, the time of the Lord's work at this point. So um, notice what it says in 14, uh, verse number 22. This is, I think, significant. By the way, do you remember the last time this passage was preached in our church? I remember it very well. It was a Sunday school uh, around March 20, 2020. It was the first Sunday we had no church during the pandemic. And Wad Haddad came and preached to us this passage, this very section, Matthew chapter 14. And he did a nice job. Um, and he pointed this fact out, which you can see just by looking at the text yourself. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. This is kind of a strong word. He compelled them. He forced them. And what was happening was the crowd was still there and the Lord was dismissing the crowd. And you can imagine the disciples saying, Lord, we can't leave you here. I mean, we're going to help dismiss the crowd and clean up or whatever. And, and Jesus said, get in the boat. Orders from headquarters, okay? Get into the boat. And they had to get into the boat and go. And so he made them, forced them, pressed them. There was a political thing going on in the background. You know, the crowd wanted him to come and, or be, and make him king. Um, perhaps the Lord is saying, look, you guys have to get out of here so we can dispel this, um, defuse rather, this situation. I don't want you guys to get caught up in this whole king-making business. Just get out of here. I'll take care of this. And we're, gonna, we're just going to take care of this right now and get it over with. And so the Lord sends away the crowds and sends away the disciples. And perhaps in sending away the crowd, he greeted some of them and maybe did any last-minute healing or speaking some final words. But then it says he went up into the mountain to pray by himself. This was a common practice in the Lord's ministry, wasn't it? I, I was thinking of this, and I thought to myself, I've got to do this today. I didn't get to do this today. Maybe tonight I'll get to do this. <laughs> Just go in a room somewhere quietly and pray. The Lord went in Matthew 14, 13 in order to do this. You, re, you know that? Before the crowds came, it said in Matthew 14, 13, when he heard about John the Baptist being killed, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. I mean, he had to go five miles plus away, try to find a deserted place, a quiet place where he could go pray. And 
he didn't make he didn't he didn't make it. Well, he did eventually. He sent the crowds all away after the days of ministry, and then he had some time to pray. And so we should do the same thing from time to time as well. Go hide yourself in your walk-in closet or uh, in your garage, you know, and just pray. And just pray. Um, focus on prayer. And uh, make that your intention, just like the Lord made that his intention to do that. Um, so we move on then. Uh, when the Lord then knew that the disciples were struggling with this, uh, with this, you know, ocean, uh, seeming ocean waves, the uh, sea, Sea of Galilee, uh, he came to them. Notice uh, it says um, in verse 24, and this is when he saw from afar off how, how they were struggling. The wind was contrary. It says in the fourth watch of the night. Now here's the night, not the evening, Okay. The evening's kind of the beginning of the night. The fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So what is the fourth watch? Well, um, it's generally accepted to be 3 to 6 a.m. 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Now, I don't know about you, but those are good sleeping hours, not rowing hours, (laughs) okay? That's tough. And uh, so the fourth watch of the night, so you'd have six to nine the previous night, nine to midnight, midnight to three, and three to six. Talk about a graveyard shift, you know. Um, there they were. In fact, I don't even, what, what is the graveyard shift, the, the, actually the way we say it, isn't that just the whole night shift, 11 to seven or something like that, the graveyard shift? Why did they call it that? You worked it many, many times. Yeah, this makes me think of a spooky uh, walking past the graveyard at night or something like that, right? Um, but uh, 3 to 6 a.m., the fourth watch of the night. They probably had been at this. I mean, I don't know how long it takes to, how long does it take to row five miles? I don't know. With a big boat, I mean, there's, there's, a dozen guys in this boat, right? So it's not a little tiny dinghy or something like that. You know, it's got some size to it. Um, and so, I don't know, hours they've been rowing, maybe taking turns doing this, you know, trying to get across to the other side, uh, or are they using a, a sail somehow um, to aid them? I don't know exactly, but in any case, it's been a struggle for them hours and hours, say they left at 11 o'clock at night, they've been at this all night, all night, four, five, six hours. So he comes to them in the fourth watch. Now, what the, what the Lord is doing here is he's compelling them to get into the boat in order to put them to a test. He's not trying to tempt them to do evil. He's putting them to a test to strengthen their faith and to show their true character. So the disciples' faith was, uh, was tested. There, the, yeah, the, the test was permitted, uh, was designed, it was implemented by the Lord, and uh, they were to put in this struggling situation as a test. Um, he put them into this fix. Okay? Sometimes difficult circumstances are the result of our doing, 
Sometimes difficult circumstances are the result of other people's doing. And sometimes difficult circumstances are the Lord's doing. <laughs> See, he put them there. He knew that they were going to have this struggle. Uh, it would have been easier to walk. It would have been easier just to, to bed down for the night and sleep and, and get up in the morning when the sea was calm and just go right on a cross. But the Lord knew what he was going to do with them, and he did that. So these things try our faith, whether they come from ourselves, others, or from God. And sometimes that, that's a little murky, like where does, I mean, God allows others to give us trials, and he allows us to make bad decisions, so we maybe get into a difficult spot or whatever. Um, but he's doing that to show our true character and strengthen and not destroy our faith. And who knows, but the, the uh, and our brother Wad pointed this out too, you know, this trial that they faced, as difficult as it was, may have protected them from some other worse thing that could have happened to them. You don't know. Why did the Lord put you in, you know, I mean, just thinking. Why did the Lord uh, cause you to have a flat, allow you to have a flat tire on the way to the airport? Because he didn't want you to get on the plane that crashed. So you had a trial but you had a smaller trial than what could have happened the other way. So we just don't know. We have to just remember, be content and not complain about those things that the Lord may allow into our lives. Um, and, the, and the Lord's teaching the guys here too, you know, to trust him, trust him in the midst of your tests. You know, we forget sometimes the Lord is in control over everything, even our trials. Now, you believe he's your savior, right, for eternal life. So do you think he can care for your temporal life? Probably, probably, right? If he can do the greater, he can do the lesser. Yeah, but we often forget about that, and we trust him for the one thing, but we kind of want to, you know, take the reins on the other thing uh, to ourselves. So, by the way, when I said that he saw what was happening to the disciples, that was in uh, Mark chapter 6. I'll just read that to uh, cement it in your mind. 648 says, Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. So they definitely were rowing in this case. Uh, Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. That's kind of a funny little note. (laughs) Easier walking than rowing. Can you imagine? Yeah. So in any case, uh, we've been at this for about a half an hour, folks, and uh, I have a little bit more to look at the response of the disciples. The response of Peter, um, Peter's response is quite interesting, and the fact that he walked on the water himself is also quite interesting, but uh, that didn't last too, too long. And then we'll see about the result of the test Uh, when the Lord returned. So just a little bit more we have to do, and maybe we'll touch that on Sunday night, but we'll leave it at that for now, and hopefully that much at least has been helpful to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for allowing us to look at the text of Scripture and to see that you permitted the disciples to fall into this situation where it became a real test for their faith whether they would be able to persevere and continue what you'd called them to do, and then also when they saw the fearful sight of the Lord walking up to them, if they would believe in him and, uh, and learn who he was, the Son of God. But in the midst of that trial, Lord, we're reminded that we're to look to you 
and, and, and feel, experience your supply, your goodness, your help to us. So watch over us, Lord, in whatever trials we find ourselves. May we, like Peter at the beginning when he got out of the boat, keep our eyes upon you and not look about at the wind and the waves and the circumstances, but keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We thank you in his name. Amen. All right, I thank you for joining us tonight, both here and abroad on the uh, live stream. May God bless you and keep you tonight, and I uh, hope that you will, will do well. We enjoyed a good time of prayer tonight as well. So, And if you weren't able to pray with us, why, you can pray there at home, just like the Lord purposed to go out and pray for a little while uh, in solitude. And So let's uh, be about that task. Good night. God bless you.